Hello and welcome to the first ever released Juno Coffee podcast. Uh, we recorded a couple before this, but I'm really excited to share this conversation with the director of coffee, green buyer for Joe Coffee, Ed Kaufman. Uh, he has been a really great friend of mine uh, for the past couple of years now. He was the first person to ever let me roast coffee, which is something we didn't even talk about. But when I was a barista, I, I the first thing I asked was where the roastery was and went down there, uh, made some friends. Ed was one of those friends. And we got talking. He's like, yeah, man, just come by any time. We can do some sample roasting. Uh, so I went. And this was September of 2016. And uh, he just he showed me kind of the beginning of how to roast coffee. And uh, ever since then, he's always had an open door to talking about green coffee and coffee in general really um we've we've, he's gone over green analysis he gets samples all the time from all over the world uh he actually just got back from peru and colombia he did like an 11 day trip he was on 10 flights in those 11 days um so i really appreciate ed having the conversation like literally just getting back from such a trip and uh, for just always being open and available for geeking out over coffee. It's one of my favorite things to do. It's one of his favorite things to do. Uh, and if you'll notice in this podcast, my favorite thing to do with him is just listen as much as possible. So there's a lot of just awkward pauses for me and I don't really know how to ask questions yet because this is like my f- first or second interview ever. So I appreciate your patience with me as I figure it out, as my friend Joe Fourier would say. Go check out his podcast, Figure It Out with Big Joe. Um, It's because of that show that I'm able to have the equipment to do this one. So thank you to Jamie McKinney for lending me the mics, to Nick Dio for lending me mics for the other recording, Um, you know, and all those things. So I'm not going to waste any more time. This is my conversation with Ed Kaufman. Hope you enjoy. There we go. Now we're rolling. Do you uh, do you drink a lot of almond milk? Kind of. What is your what's your go to brand? Mine is um, my roommate got me hooked to So Delicious. Oh, it's, they have it at Key Foods too, yeah. which is I like never expected, but it's like really rich and creamy, kind of like oat milk, but it's sweet like almond milk. It's really good. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. What about you? I, I've been doing Khalifa. Yeah. The unsweetened one. Mm. It's really expensive. So if I just tried out some silk recently that was like, yeah. I don't know. Dude, you can go to the bodega on the corner and get some silk and it's like, good to go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what's the healthier version. I don't, I don't know. There's so much shit out there. Yeah, I I just assume that everything's probably somewhat bad for you. So I'm just like, <laughs> this one tastes best. If it's going to be bad for me, I might as well enjoy it a little bit. It's true. And you're totally right. Everything <laughs> is trying to kill you a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. Except for coffee. That's true. <laughs> Try to keep me alive a little bit. Dude, I don't even know where we're starting. We, I came in the room and we just kind of started talking. We're like, we should just start recording because this is a lot of good stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, on my ride in today, I was kind of thinking about what we we're going to talk about. And it's just basically us like recording what we normally talk about when we get together. You know, it's like super geeky stuff and, you know, what's going on in the the Joe green coffee world and what's going on in the slurp dungeon. And, um, but yeah, there's 
tons to talk about and should I just like start going off? Go for it. <laughs> Dude, this is this is my favorite part because I'll just be like, hey, burrito time? Yeah. All right. I'll ask one question. You just go. <laughs> just go. Love it. <laughs> we can entitle this one The Rabbit Hole. Um, so I just got back from Peru and Colombia. Um, and prior to this trip, you know, I, I, I pretty much take a trip to Colombia, at least Colombia every year to visit uh, the Guarnizo family and, you know, check in on El Pariso, see how they're doing volume wise to fulfill what we need for our espresso blend as it's half the espresso. Um, this last year, they weren't able to fill all the volume. So I also met with a few other or one other group that's basically across the highway from El Pariso meaning like two hours away. <laughs> um, but um, before this trip, um, I'd been working on a, a pretty big comprehensive document about basically spelling out how Joe buys, how Joe buys coffee, um, which is a combination of um, what I, things I've been doing kind of made up out of thin air. And then some stuff is, you know, based on, strategies I've read about and things I've heard about from industry peers and things like that. It's kind of like this big pile of, of how we do things. So it's nice to put it all in one big document. It's still a mess, but um, you know, what it really allowed me to do is kind of take a good look at our strategies and our methods and look for places of improvement, look for places to celebrate how we killed it the last few years. And, um, and what it also did was allowed me to kind of set some objectives for this trip, which was really cool. I mean, sometimes I'm on these trips and I feel like, okay, I, I could be cupping these coffees in the slurp dungeon in New York and, you know, pay the $500 for them to just ship me a box of samples rather than like $2,000 for a trip with hotels and food and everything. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was a really productive trip because I had some more clear objectives based on places that we could improve and shift things around a little bit. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. It's cool to add some intention to what you're doing and you actually know why you're doing what you're doing. Completely. And, you know, from the beginning, I was pretty, I was left to kind of do my own thing. So I didn't really have a, a boss or somebody to report to really. I mean, of course, Jonathan's busy running the company and, you know, He's kind of the visionary for the company and um, there wasn't really, you know, of course I answered to the finance department making sure I didn't drive the company out of business by buying all Kenyan micro lots for everything. Um, <laughs> so other than that though, I was kind of left to just piece it together how I saw, how I saw fit and it kind of worked really well. I mean, I took some, some some risks and made a lot of mistakes, and um, feel like I'm. I feel like now that this document is done, and now that I've gone on this trip, I'm I'm about to become a coffee buyer. <laughs> After five years, I still feel like today's you know my first week on the job. Yeah. Uh, but now I've had a little more training, but I still just feel like wow, there's so much to do, so much potential too. Right. Well, now, now you've kind of organized it in a way to where you've, because you were the person doing it, you could kind of figure it out along the way. But now you've kind of built this platform to where, okay, if if I had to have someone fill my shoes almost, it's like setting up the company for success. And like anyone else who comes into 
do green buying for Joe. That's kind of what it sounds like you're setting up. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think a couple of key things that you just said is just like getting organized and setting up a, a platform or a foundation even yeah. from which to start all these other cool things, you know, and I think that's like my favorite part of coffee too, is like you can dig in as deep as you want and you'll kind of never get to the bottom of the story. You know, you just keep going, uh, you know, and, and I'm also seeing that, that, that my job is covers a lot of different things. You know, I have, I have my geeky experimental, well, not experimental, but my, my lab, you know, where I do the moisture analysis and start doing UV stuff and, water activity readings and cupping and you know all this all this stuff down here and that's all very like meticulous scientific uh employing scientific methods you know where i do repeat stuff and i cup everything blind or as blind as i can um collect everything in a database lots of data entry uh and then you know traveling and and defining our strategy of how, how we buy through each of our different supply chains that we buy from. Yeah. And I'm realizing that like no supply chain is like another supply chain, <laughs> even within a country, you know, yeah. I mean, they're just different. Every single coffee has its own nuanced little supply chain. So what I realized that there is no, it's going to be really hard for us to lay down like, here are three main points, you know, like here's how we buy coffee. Right. So unless it's like, here are the three points for Ethiopia, or here are the three points for Colombia, here are the three points for Peru, and here are the three points for Chiapas, Mexico, you know. Um, so what I realized is like being flexible and not trying to, not trying too hard to be as in, involved in every supply chain at the same level. So some right. of them we can just leave how they are, you know, we, we let other people do the work in Ethiopia for now. Uh, we cup through a bunch of delicious coffees and select our favorite one. Um, in Mexico, I'm this year I'm taking a sample roaster down. I'm going to cup the entire farm four times and you know get them organized and set up to fulfill our, our like our volume for our blenders as well as like hopefully discover some micro lots. They have a little bit of geisha. They have a, like some new bourbon that seemed to taste pretty good. It's called like bourbon 300. It's like a hybrid of some sort okay so you know those are two opposite ends of the spectrum very hands-on and very hands-off and both of those coffees are on our menu right and we're equally proud of both of them but how do you determine how involved you need to or want to be in that process um sometimes it's gushy you know it's like romantic yeah. a little bit i'll admit uh the family in chiapas they are super sweethearts and they're also starving for knowledge they want mm. input from buyers they want to be awesome they want to be the best coffee farmers in mexico and you know they they travel to guatemala to like consult with ana cafe the guatemalan governing organization uh they hire consultants and so they've kind of opened the door for me to be as involved as i want right rather than me like you know, blazing into the jungle with a machete saying, okay, where are the coffee farmers? Let's do some experiments. You know, yeah. like uh, I've had to be very careful about that and make sure I stay in my role, like realizing, okay, my superpower is tasting coffee and looking at UV light, you know, like those, that's yeah. it. Like I'm not a farmer. I'm not an agronomist. I'm not a, an expert on cellular degradation during the drying process. You know, there's 
is a guy that does that in Brazil. You know, here's his research right. paper. But um, yeah, so I'm I'm hoping that we're gonna all kind of set ourselves up for like long term geek fest, but also like stable quality and stable price. Right. Um, so that that one was based on romance and a lot of like kind of friendship in some ways, and then like I believe deep down that there's a ton of potential. I mean, this farm is literally the same latitude, latitude as Weiwei Tenango. And so, and it's up way up in the mountains. And I think, I think it's got a microclimate and the elevation and the cultivars and the curiosity about experimentation to where they just need some, a partner on the other side of it. Right. Who believes in them. So I keep my fingers crossed every year, yeah. you know, but I hope it, I hope they end up becoming our, uh, inherto to Stumptown. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, that's kind of like my, my dream. Uh, yeah. You know, we'll see what happens. Um, and then, uh, so the, I w- became way more involved in our supply chain for, for our blend, uh, component Simfro cafe, which is, I think the largest cooperative in Peru. Um, and that, the reason for that, like I'd, I'd met the key players within that organization a long time ago, but nothing more than like a high five and a cupping with them. There's no discussion of me being a buyer of any sort. It was like I was just part of a group. Yeah. And this year I went there to establish myself as, as the buyer, as the direct buyer with um, the importer, a representative from the importer there to carry out logistics and contracts. So, or like print the contracts basically. So we negotiated the contracts directly with, with the cooperative. Joe did, and and then the importer carries them out, puts the coffee on a boat, gets it to New Jersey, and then that's all they do, and finance the coffee for us as well. But um, so that that did two things: it gave us some more control over the products we got, rather than buying them out of the importer's inventory based on their green buyer's assessment. Right. So we were the buyer. Um, so they were, we were able to establish, uh, calibrate with their cuppers and establish like what Ed is looking for in the profile. Cause there are like 30 different flavor profiles from that one cooperative, totally different regions. Um, and then it also, I think we're going to, we're going to end up saving a tiny bit of money because, you know, we're playing a more active role. Right. Uh, so that, what that does is it takes, if, if the importer does not provide the service of selecting the coffees, then it's they don't charge us for that service. Yeah, if they're strictly logistics, they have a number for that too. It's like you know a margin. Gotcha. <clears throat> that's interesting. So, so we save a little yeah. money, a little more control over our product. That's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, because it seems like if you are a green buyer right now, it's importers are like, all right, here's what we have, or here's what we're going to get, and these are your options. And now you're going a step further and saying, okay, well, this is what I want to find within those selections mm-hmm. before they even become selects, basically. Yeah. Well, and also it kind of gives us an idea, like, is what we're looking for, does it exist in this cooperative? Yeah. You know, I mean, are we working with the right people? Um, and that's not a quick decision to make, you know, that, no. I mean, we'll see how this year turns out, but I, I'm feeling really good about finding something that's going to work really well for us. Um, just based on the last few years of tasting coffee from there, but also realizing that it's like, it's coffees that maybe one or two people from our importer had selected based on their flavor preferences. You know, they didn't know exactly what we were looking for. So, um, yeah, 
I'm hoping for the best on that one. So that's kind of a, the opposite side of why I would get more hands-on in that supply chain. Right. Um, last one I should talk about is uh, the Guarnizo family. So when I go visit them, it's just, it's lunch, it's high fives and hugs. We drink coffee, we hike around the farm, freshen up the photo album, you know, take pictures of their new yellow katura, and, you know, and there's like, there's no negotiation at all. Mm. Um, and that's because the, the coffees we buy from them are, they're fixed price. It's a fixed price contract, which is, they're super thankful for, especially right now with the market the way it is. Um, so they get the same price for their, their 85s all year, all year, every year right now, at least for like the last four years. Um, and the thing is about that, that particular quality level, if, if they pick ripe, clean fermentation tanks and well calibrated equipment, slow drying, like they can pretty easily hit 85. Which is called which is double A within Caravella's. We buy the coffee through Caravella. Okay. So basically, Caravella helped us set up the fixed price contract. They add their margin, and but they their margins are much higher than say logistics for Semfro Cafe. But it's because they do all the quality assessment and cupping regularly at the bottom of the mountain wow. where the Guarnizas live. So we know that there's a pile of 85s just building up for us at that warehouse all the time from the Guarnizo family or whoever, whichever of the family members sign that contract. Uh, sometimes some of them will dip in and out because they think they can get a better price somewhere, but um, which is fine. But uh, oftentimes they come back and join the, the family in the contract. Um, now, this is a fun thing just because you never really hear any green buyers talk about like the intricacies of like the relationship with the families in this way about like you hear this is the family, this is what they've been doing. Cool. But you never really hear about the relationship and how it works between. Yeah. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing all of yeah. those things, man. Um, so you mentioned earlier about the Guarnese family is really thankful for the fixed price rate because of how the market is now. How is the market now? Um, and why, um, why would you do a fixed rate or versus negotiation? Well, the the market now is, I, I haven't checked it today, but it's hovering under a dollar for spot contracts right now. Or um, it's, it's well below the cost of production. Let's just say that it's yeah. like a dollar for, for the September um, delivery month. And um, so, so purchasing, with that as a as a baseline for for coffee prices is really it's it's kind of dangerous for for everybody actually yeah. i mean this is under a dollar for commodity trading yeah yeah so sometimes some of our coffees we will purchase we'll write a contract for the the futures market plus a differential meaning so i don't really want to you can edit this up. I don't really want to share okay. exactly yeah. the, the pennies of it. but So I don't have to. Um, so, but the, I, I can say like for El Pariso that's in our espresso, the differential is as much as like a very healthy market level for a commodity coffee. So it's that plus whatever the market level is now. Right. Okay. So 
through that supply chain, through Caravella, you know, we're we're still supporting people at a level that's better than they could get by just selling it on the side of the road or um, through the commodity, you know, through the federation. Um, anyway, so uh, the idea was to, I, I got tired of watching the market so much for these coffees and I just, I needed a stable price uh, in order to keep the Guarniso family on our menu kind of in the same spot for a long time because I had a feeling that it was going to become this really special thing where customers would recognize it. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely like you have the Daily, the Waverly, and then whenever you have a range of single origins, I feel like the Guarniso is the most noticeable one. Yeah. For sure. And it's it's such a great story too. Um, but the idea was <laughs> that we would have a fixed price contract and – so if the market took a dip, like where, where it has been since we signed the contract, you know, they would be making more money and we would be, you know, we're paying a price that works for us. I'll right. say that. You're I'm still more, within your budget. It's within far, the budget. Right. I mean, we had a few pennies extra, so we got it Rainforest certified, you know, why not? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're part of El Pariso, which is Rainforest certified. So, um, so I have no complaints about losing or losing the ability to purchase that same coffee for a lower price over the last few years. Like, I don't even think about that. That's not really our, we don't, as a company, we don't play the market. Right. We're not opportunistic necessarily like that. I mean, of course, when the prices are low, we try to cover ourselves. Yeah. Um, But, and then the idea is that if the market were to go up above the levels that we would, that we could get the coffee from, that they would stick to their end of the deal. Right. So it's, you're, we'll you're always, hopefully it'll level out to where you're just in the middle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there, there have been a few case studies written about them and us. And it's just, it's really, in a way, it supports the farmers to keep producing. I mean, the, right. the, the reason that coffee's so popular on our menu is because we've supported them and each other this way. Right. And, you know, they're not. I don't know. I just, I find it, it's like a huge success. It's a win-win situation. Yeah. And they were the first ones to throw out the first set of numbers for what they wanted wow. to make. So, and we made a couple little tweaks based on like, you know, there was like a half cupping point that was like, I don't even know how many thousand pesos difference, but we were like, let's just take a little pressure off the cupper. Right. <laughs> Not be like, you know, thousands of pesos more based on half a point. Like that could be like how you poured the water in. Oh, you know? totally. Like, Man, so that's a trip to think about. How you could spend thousands of dollars more or less based on like oh yeah, just a brewing mistake. And right now they're really seeing the difference because the eighty fours don't go into the contract. Mm. So the eighty fours and the eighty four and a halfs go into a different product. And right now at the market, the way it is, they get paid a a daily price for their parchment. Okay, based on the commodities market, it's not the market level but it's a market level plus okay something sense um so they're saying dude our 84 and a halfs are like we're getting paid half as much money as we are for 85s (laughs) and i'm kind of like that's that's not my fault (laughs) you know that's i didn't make the market do that um so anyway i feel like that was a really long answer to the that's good do you think there's do you think there needs to be a change in how we score coffee <clears throat> according to like the market or do you like 
it just seems to me like a very almost old fashioned, but also makes sense also in one part of my brain to why we say, all right, this is an 84 and a half, this is an 85. Like, I don't know. It just it seems yeah. I don't know, a little weird. Well, one of the things that I talked about, I mean, I, I my Spanish isn't strong enough to be able to talk about contracts, especially like we usually end up in these conversations with them in the middle of a coffee field. And I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I can't talk about this, you know, because for one, I don't understand a lot of their Spanish because, you know, it's a certain accent and I, I'm just not, I'm not equipped to be able to talk about con like deep contract stuff with them, but that's what Caravella does. That's what, you know, right. that's why they're in the middle. And that's when we say like, okay, let's loop Caravella in and let's talk about it. But one of the things that we talked about was, or that I talked about with my Caravella representative was, you know, if, if it's going to help, like if they're really that many 84 and a half that they're making half as much money on, like, let's just, can I cuss? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I was going to, I won't right now, but I was going to, no, I was going to say like, let's just fucking put 84 and a half with the 85s. Like, I don't care. It's not going to affect our quality that much, and <clears throat> it'll take pressure off the cupper. You totally. Know, that way, like eighty four is straight eighty four is a real price, and then eighty five and eighty four and a half to eighty five point nine five or whatever is going right. to be another price. But then I looked at we took a look at all their numbers and all their deliveries, and there weren't there were barely any eighty four and a halves in there. So it's not like it it wouldn't have made a huge difference. Sure. Back. When you're uh, cupping that early in the process, too, that 84 and a half, three months from now, you could score as an 85 plus. Like, I don't know. That's that's kind of the trippy part to oh, me is yeah, that yeah. Uh, as green coffee ages, the grade's going to change, too. So what you paid for three months ago could be yep. totally different today. Yep. Well, and they also basically cup it right out of the roasting machine, too. So it's Jeez. not a perfect system. No. Um, but it's kind of... I mean, there's there's some calibration along the supply chain. You know, there's it's not like they have an arbitrary right. cupper there. Their cuppers are highly trained. We're calibrated, and that was that's the important part. Yeah, yeah. and so when we're talking eighty five, they're talking eighty five. Um, sometimes they'll send me something that's, you know, they'll claim is an eighty five, and I'll give it eighty five and a half, and it's like it's great. It's it is great, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, I, I I hear what you're asking, and I again I don't think there's a perfect system, and the, sure. I mean that's the cupping score isn't the only thing that plays into that price. Right. Well, that's kind of what we were talking about yeah. right before we started the podcast. Was there's when we're grading these <clears throat> coffees and tasting samples, you're going through UV lights, you're cupping, you're you know kind of comparing it to all your other coffees in the database yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, moisture content, yeah, like some water activity stuff. Um, so that's what they take those readings as well. So the, they take the moisture content, water activity. They do. Um, they have a certain range of yield from parchment to green, with meaning when the parchment is stripped off and all the defects are sorted out, it has to be a certain yield. Um, and I think it's like eighty percent is the bottom. So it's got to be higher than eighty percent. Because if it's not, that means that there are a lot of like not very dense beans or a lot of defects. Gotcha. There are um, floaters or whatever. So they they can kind of gauge the quality on the yield from parchment to green. Interesting. 
Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's really interesting. I've always wondered if there's uh some sort of relativity to like pre and post roast too of like weight because they I mean there's a similar weight drop like and oh, you kind of yeah. figure out the density of like a peaberry versus like a Colombian coffee or whatnot. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a pretty easy piece of data to collect. Oh yeah, just like so to scale on by your roaster. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have you need it anyways to, for the dose, right? <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, but yeah, you started doing UV stuff recently. You said you met with a certain somebody who's been doing that for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was very inspirational. Yeah. So do so. You've been. What is something that you've kind of observed and like? are trying to learn from it or do you think you will learn from um, that new piece of data that yeah yeah so basically um you know i've been looking at every sample that comes in under a uv light um and just taking notes on what i see uh not really making conclusions yet but uh after meeting with this um peer industry peer i uh he kind of gave me a few um conclusive conclusive observations which were helpful but he was still kind of like i am just like we don't know exactly what we're looking at every with every type of observation you know um but he did mention something about you know glowing edges can indicate moisture being lost or gained after it's dry um it can kind of I don't know if it kills it if if dead stuff is what glows, sure. but there's a certain acid that glows, um, and and then there are certain you know certain types of coffee where they there will be several beans inside in the in the lot that that glow brightly, and then the rest of them won't glow. And I've seen that in a few naturals, yeah. which has been really interesting. And I, I I have a tiny theory about that, but maybe maybe I shouldn't. I mean, maybe somebody will comment on this podcast and sure. prove me wrong, which would be awesome. I, I want to learn as I mean, much as possible. That's a fun conversation to have, too. Yeah. I mean, I mean okay, I'll yeah, just put it out go there. For it. I think that um, this is a naturally processed geisha from Colombia that I saw. And there were many beans in there that were fully glowing and many that weren't. So it looked like Chex Party Mix, you know, it looked yeah. like disco, disco Chex Party Mix kind of situation. And so... What I think happened, this is my theory, <clears throat> I think that the coffee fruit when it was being dried was not stirred enough or it wasn't rotated enough to get even exposure to the heat source, which I believe was the, was the sun on raised beds. Okay. And so I think what happened is since in a naturally processed coffee, you basically have like a little microbrewery in every single cherry you know, having its own fermentation and as well as drying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have two kind of distinct things happening at the same time. I think that uh, those glowers tell me that there were, there were coffees left out on top of the pile all day and those fermented very fast and actually created an, an acidic environment within the cherry and killed the embryo. And that's why the embryo is dead and it's glowing. And then the the coffee underneath the top of the pile was dried more evenly, or it dried more, dried and fermented more slowly, and so uh, you get some, you know, get, you get the fruity flavor benefit, but you didn't get the overly acidic environment within the cherry. Right. That's what I think, but I could be wrong. So 
Sounds like a solid theory. <laughs> did you did you taste that as well and kind of figure out what it, like if those things really showed showcased or is that I mean that's kind of a hard thing to taste. I guess. It is, but if I get a big enough sample, I can sort out the glowers and cup them separately. Yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah, and I that is on my list of things to do. I will say that there was um, there was some subtle acetic acid characteristics to the to the coffee. I mean, which there are in many naturals, sure. but um, it smelled kind of vinegary. I don't know. Yeah, you know, we're just making observations. I, I and hope I hope somebody comments out. on this and says, "Dude, you're totally full of shit." Like, what it really is is this. I'm like, I mean, that'd be awesome. Tell me. <laughs> I mean that's like that's part of my goal with this podcast is I as I did one with Andrew and I want to like I want to keep doing more stuff like this where we kind of just dive in with different roasters and green buyers yeah. and eventually we have like a catalog of cross references from each other and we all kind of start to learn something from other people because you're you're here in New York and you're you're doing you're in your slurp lab and uh, slurp dungeon yep. and like you're traveling all over the place and you might run into a green buyer out there and talk or something but there's it feels like all the way up from baristas maybe a little into roasters there's there's a huge community of conversation about everything on bar flow and grinding or whatever and then once you get from roasting all the way back to like the producer there's kind of a lack in conversation a mm-hmm. little bit so that's I hope we get that kind of conversation yeah, going. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think you're totally right. I think there's just not a lot of like uh exchange of information like there is on the on the brewing and roasting level even. Right. You know, um and it it kind of makes it it, it it makes it difficult because you know, you kind of start filling in gaps when you don't have anybody to talk to about certain things and sometimes it's incorrect. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's nice that there are more and more conversations happening, some books coming out. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, it's, I think very soon, for one with climate change, for two with the coffee market, um, you know, all of us buyers are going to have to start kind of brainstorming to figure out, okay, what's the best way to promote quality? What's the best way to assess quality? Yeah. What are some tools we can use to, to help us get better at uh, anticipating quality drop-off and when that's going to happen. But not just using that internally, sharing this stuff with producers as right. much as possible to say like, hey, when you dry the coffee in 36 hours, it cups really well in the pre-ship and then like a month and a half later, it shits the bed. You mm. know, Let's try turning the Guardiola off every eight hours you yeah. know, and like try not to get it over 40 degrees Celsius. And then... You know, then next year suddenly you have a product that's going to last you, you know, four times longer on your menu. Yeah, that's huge. And, you know, and so being able to use science to kind of like and and community <clears throat> and sharing of information to kind of um, stop filling in gaps with like romantic notions. Yeah, is <laughs> it science? It really is science. Totally. And of course, we all love the flavor, and we all love the high fives, and we get to like. Go visit a farm. Yeah. But it's it's sugar and it's 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 the seed, it's the dead seed of a plant that grew on the side of a crazy mountain that may or may not have been in the middle of civil war this year. You know? It's right. like <laughs> Dude, that's real. It's fucking <laughs> real. <laughs> Every year, you know, you're like, dude, there's like, always who's gonna be at war this year? 
I mean, I shouldn't laugh. It's not, it's no, not it's, funny, but it's, it's not, like, it's amazing it ever tastes good. Yeah. We're not, yeah. If we're laughing at the fact that, like, we can still get amazing coffees from these places going through hell. Yeah. And it's just, it's insane. But, <clears throat> yeah, um, that's what was really cool about Ryan's book, Dear Coffee Buyers. It kind yeah. of re-sparked our conversation even about green buying and going into that whole wormhole that it can be. But it, it kind of set a foundation for people to talk about. Yep. Build it, have a conversation about a topic without having to just come up with something. You can just, all right, let's point at this chapter and yeah. figure out what we experienced based on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think I think he did a really good job of taking a what can be a very complicated job and kind of laying out the parts in a way that that could be read by <clears throat> somebody who's very new or even con- just considering it without knowing anything about it. Totally. Uh, I really appreciated that. And, uh, you know, me, I'm a slow reader and I like a lot of pictures, so I like that book too. Because it's so good. <laughs> there are cartoons in it. And- <laughs> I was like, it's kind of thin and there's just a million pictures. It's like I read a paragraph and I was yeah. done. But I I learned so much from that book me because I, I was... I mean, I'm still very early and like I've bought two bags of coffee in my career so uh-huh. far. And it's like... Everybody starts somewhere. Oh, yeah. And I'm just things that I'm starting to notice. I'm like, Oh, that, that does make sense. That's yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's just been a cool process to realize that's, that's the lingo that this importer was using. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Sometimes <laughs> importers like it. rattle off acronyms and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, about. you can, this is how much it costs and this is when it'll get here. That's cool. Awesome. <laughs> Everything else. I have no yeah. idea. <laughs> well, you're pretty lucky because you got to read about all of his mistakes before you make oh, them. Yeah. And for me, it was like, uh, I, I don't think it sounds to me like he made bigger of the same mistakes I've made or some of them, which is comforting. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan Brown. Um, you know, because it's hard as a green buyer, you know, you kind of, you don't know. There's not, there's not a benchmark for, uh, performance review in some ways, you know, it's like finance department doesn't care about cupping scores and, Baristas don't care about coffee prices, and so it's like, yeah. How do I find my place in this? And like, who can I? Who can empathize with me? Right. Uh, and then, you know, how do you balance um, financial responsibility with romance and relationships? Yeah, you know, which is a huge thing. Like, and how how does romance fit into the bottom line of a profitable company? Who knows? I mean, now we have a marketing department which can answer that question, but like, <laughs> yeah, we just got that. So it's like, I feel like there's a lot of value in like having, being able to WhatsApp text oh, my huge. buddies in Chiapas about like the yellow catawaii growing on the side of the mountain. You know, it's like, oh yeah, that's awesome. This like makes my heart all gushy and like, okay, great. Are we going to be able to make that X warehouse budget target price for this year for the catawaii selection? You know, I, you know, it's, 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 it's a marriage. We're, we're all trying to run profitable businesses yeah. while telling a story. But, um, anyway, my point with all this is like romance used to play a lot more of a part in my decisions. And man, I tell you what, it, it bit me in the butt a few times <laughs> and, but not as bad as it bit Ryan in the butt in that book. So, yeah. uh, it was comforting. Yeah, that's <laughs> 
Sorry, Ryan, but thank you at thank the same you. time. Thank you, Ryan. Oh, man. Um, you, you, you sent an email. We were kind of emailing back and forth about topics, topics you wanted to cover, and one of them was low coffee prices um, with producers' feedback. I think you, we touched on this a little bit in Guarnizo, but I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about that more. Oh, yeah. Well, so a common theme in Peru uh, with a few of this, the associations I visited, I visited three different groups, three different co-ops, two very small and one huge. Um, but a common theme among them, among them was um, with the prices as low as they are now, it seemed like people were going to, rather than cutting costs and planting all catimor, you know, which takes little to no, you know, a lot less um, care than, say, a, a, a katura. Um, people were going the opposite direction and saying that they're going to start focusing on quality, mm. which warmed my heart, you know. Yeah. And I just, I hope there's, I hope this end, you know, our end of the, the spectrum can do our best to support that because... Um, I think the the thought behind that is the first step, you know, just the idea of like, all right, we're in an emergency, we're in a state of emergency right now. What are we going to do? And like, all right, let's just make our coffee rule. Like, let's just make this coffee fucking rad. That's awesome. Like with, let's, let's bring in technicians to help consult uh, with harvesting, processing and drying practices. Um, so, and like, Innovations. The nice thing about the co-ops is they're they're a big group, so they can kind of, you know, do some innovative experiments on a small level, and then distribute the information to other people. So, in conjunction with this the shitty market right now, and stuff is uh, late rains, you know, so drying has been really tough. Mm. Um, so they're kind of scrambling to to innovate with that um, to try to nail this like higher quality level in the midst of climate change. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a hard thing right now yeah. to be a coffee farmer. I mean, it's always hard, Sure, but I, I, I think the energy behind what their goals are is really great. And I'm, I'm happy to try to support that as much as possible. Yeah, that's an optimist. That's a really optimistic view to be like, all right, uh, things are going bad. Let's try to make everything as awesome as possible. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, Rather than like, let's rip up all our trees and plant coca or whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's one of the first things I I learned about when it came to like coffee farming was uh, when we visited Guatemala. Um, I forgot who was showing us around, but she was like, "Yeah, there's a big conversation about you can grow this much sugar in this amount of acreage, and you can get this much money for it every year, no problem." And then with coffee, there you're kind of adding some commitment to it because you don't really know it's going to take a couple years to actually start paying off and like the quality is always changing with weather or whatnot and you're only getting this much money compared to like what you would with the sugar every year yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm always thankful that people are sticking with with coffee you know yeah. and I, I would totally understand if people wanted to ditch it it's not it's hard work, especially, you know, paying the labor to harvest three, four, five times a season to go through and pick all the hus all the fuss about, you know, proper calibration of machinery and the right amount of fermentation so that that nice citrus comes out perfectly. I mean, fuck you guys. <laughs> like, I could just pick once 
and sell like chocolate and sawdust flavored coffee and make a little less money, but like yeah. less headache, you know? So, oh well, yeah. Why, um, why do you think people do farm specialty coffee? Is it like a family tradition thing? I mean, I know you've probably met more coffee farmers than anybody else. Like, what do you, what is the common denominator of why they're growing coffee versus anything else? Uh, I feel like it's different really across the board. Yeah. Sometimes it's just been handed down for years. Um, it's always nice to see that like one of the kids or two of the kids or whatever have gone off to university and then decided to come back with like newfound energy and connections with, you know, the outside world. Um, and then I know like the Mogels and Chiapas, he wanted to grow coffee. Like everyone was doing cattle at the Mm. time on that land or in that area. And he... He thought cattle were really hard on, hard on the land, so he decided to do coffee instead. Um, uh, yeah, now that I think about it, like family tradition does play a pretty big role in it. I mean, Juan Jose Miguel, the first, you know, the older patriarch of the family, he he started that coffee farm, so it's not like he he was passed down. But right. his son is going to be taking over. But you hear That's all the time, cool. like you know, fourth third fourth generation coffee farmers yeah. and um sometimes it's just like they're indigenous groups of people who've just done that for for a long time and they just you know there's nothing else to do sure yeah yeah i think of like ethiopia or like way way back in the woods of way way <laughs> tenango <laughs> You know, the mom people, you know, I mean, that's what yeah. they're all, they do. Yeah, they're all growing coffee. So um, when you when you get a sample, but you uh, you, you basically taste everything you get. Yeah. You you um. How do you analyze? I mean, we kind of talked about how you analyze for quality, and then how do you decide if and how it fits into your menu and your offerings and fitting kind of the objective of Joe's single origin menu or uh-huh. menu in general? <clears throat> well, I think first uh, is a pretty, there's a ever increasing, increasingly strict physical analysis. Mm-hmm. So I'll do like, you know, I'll observe, or look at and smell the green, uh, take the moisture content, water activity, UV light observations. Um, and then I will roast it cup of the next day um and then from there you know a few other factors play in like do we have room on the menu uh does it fit in kind of our spectrum of the single origin menu which in my mind we do have a spectrum of you know kind of caramely appley all the way up to you know maple pineapple current kind of crazy floral stuff so there's like yeah. you know least complex and most approachable to most complex and more mind expanding and you know things in the middle um so relationships play a big part in it you know we like to see the same menu same coffees on the menu every year um if possible um yeah and and price you know if it's if it's an eight dollar a pound coffee that tastes like like vanilla and graham crackers i might pass on it you know sure. but if it's an eight dollar pound coffee that tastes like 
passion fruit and, and lilacs, then okay, well, we can talk, you know? <laughs> so there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of things. It's got to fit all the physical analysis. It's got to cup well. Um, price, ideally relationship. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like some coffees are not in that. You know, I feel like they, they're, they should be ideally all very clean, good representations of coffee from that place. Right. So I think of taste of place a lot. Like I don't want, I don't necessarily want the Colombian coffee to taste like Kenyan coffee. Right. Which it does sometimes. And that's for me to cup. That's very exciting. Yeah. If if that's what it represents, if that is what the origin is, then yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, if that microclimate produces coffee that tastes like SL 28, you know, with the long fermentation, like count me in. I want to drink that. Hell yeah. At home. (laughs) But I don't know. You know, if we want our customers to taste Kenyan coffee, you know, we should we get a nice Kenyan coffee. Yeah. Um, and our Ethiopian coffees have to display like the best of what like a washed Ethiopian has. Um, granted, within those countries, there are of course hundreds of different microclimates and different flavor profiles. So, um, you know, we can hop around those areas, but at the same time. Uh, we don't want to. We don't want to alienate our customers by being like by coming across too elitist, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, we don't. We don't want people to feel like they're drinking coffee the wrong way if they're not able to tell the difference between one or the other on our menu, right? If they even care to explore that, and if they don't, that's totally fine. The daily's a pretty awesome coffee anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's cool because a lot of times it's just a matter of like, oh, I liked this. I didn't like this one as much. Oh, I like this one. And like, you don't always know right off the bat, but as they continue to taste these coffees, they kind of like realize the differences just because of what they decide they liked better. That's kind of a fun thing. Yeah. And yeah. that's where it starts. You yeah. Know, if they want, if they want to go down the, the rabbit hole. So it's like, yeah. you know, yeah, you can start with like Bea Cremona, which is apples and caramel. And then you can go to the Guarnizo family and then you can go to the, the Gakuyuini, you know, from yeah. Kenya. And then if you're like, ah, Gakuyuini is like just so bright, you know, I prefer my coffee with a little splash of milk. So maybe go back to Bayer Cremona, yeah. you know, or back to Daily, whatever you want. Yeah. There's, I Free think like range. there's no, I, I feel like in, in the menu, I kind of have Joe's hospitality philosophy kind of underneath it all. Right. You know, like I, I want everybody to feel good about drinking the coffees we sell yeah yeah there's something for everybody no matter what they're looking for yeah, yeah. that's cool yeah huh. did i answer the question i think so i think you i think we we just went a little deeper which is great yeah awesome what else do you want to talk about uh did we get the thing about almond milk yeah, that's the first thing you asked. Okay, we talked about that. Okay, no, I think I'm good. So cool, bro. <laughs> dude, we, we covered a lot. How how long is this? This is 48 minutes. Nice. Dude, that's a solid solid length of solid a podcast. podcast. Yeah. yeah, dude. Thank you for hanging out and talking. Um, we do it all the time, but it's fun to share it with the world. Yeah, yeah for sure, man. Thank you. This yeah. is awesome. Of course. Um, that's it. Thank you for listening. Um, toodles. <laughs> toodles. <laughs>